Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Opto Sessions podcast. I have the great pleasure of introducing Michael Cantro today on the show, who is a Chief Investment Strategist at Piper Sandler. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good yeah, very you. good, very good. And um, where, where are you calling from? Uh, we're in our Piper Sandler mid, uh, Midtown New York City office. Nice. Is that is that your the main place you, you work from nowadays? And uh, it's a mix between travel. Uh, I just I was on the road early this week in Ohio, uh, and I'm in the office today. Um, so I kind of mix it up between uh, a little bit at home, a little bit on the on the road, and uh, a little bit in the office. Okay, okay. And you you live near York, New York then? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty close yeah. to the city, out in the suburbs, with a, a team of kids <laughs> and my wife. Okay. <laughs> and you have to travel a lot for work, or is, it, is this going out to other Piper Sandler offices, or are you meeting people? Or? Yeah, we. Uh, there's part part of the job is uh, go seeing, you know, going to see clients face to face and discussing uh, our, our research and the markets and the macro outlook. Uh, so it, you know, it's something I actually enjoy doing. Uh, the traveling and logistical part of it, not so much, but uh, certainly seeing the same people year after year is, uh, and hopefully trying to help them out is a plus to this job. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. So I thought um, we could start by going over your, the framework that is, is pinned to the top of your, your Twitter, um, Hope, which is uh, explains how, how the economy responds to uh, changes in rates, which I thought was really, really interesting. So, I mean, it'd be great to sort of dive into that uh, in detail. Sure, yeah. Um... So HOPE, which stands for Housing, Orders, Profits, Employment, uh, is, is the sequence in which the economy accelerates and decelerates uh, across history. Uh, there could also, you know, between um, in different macro regimes and different periods across history, the lags between uh, those different events and the magnitudes of a downturn or, the, or a recovery could be slightly variable. But uh, it's kind of an oversimplification of what the conference board does with their leading indicators, coincident economic indicators, and lagging uh, economic indicators. Uh, so it's it, it helps it ultimately helps us navigate the period between easing the beginning of an easing cycle or a tightening cycle, uh, because there's significant lags in how long it takes when once the Fed starts raising rates and it starts to show up in different parts of the economy. First in housing, always. Last in employment, always. So this HOPE framework allows us to navigate that lag with some guideposts and some uh, somewhat of a map to follow to help us understand whether or not that tightening cycle or easing cycle in a recovery is actually playing out. Uh, and so in the last year and a half, uh, obviously, we've had quite the broad-based global tightening cycle. And mm -hmm. so far we've seen uh, a pretty big hit to the housing uh, market in the United States, uh, specifically some of the most leading indicators of housing, like housing, like building permits and um, housing sentiment. Uh, but uh, we still believe most of the impact uh, onto employment is, uh, is, is ahead of us over the next 12 months or so. And that, how big is that, uh, the time difference between because it appeared to be very like quite a long time between the, when the housing starts to uh, show signs of weakness and then employment finally starting to sort of show those signs as well. 
Yeah, there is anywhere between say a 15 and almost a two year lag, depending on which housing data you're looking yeah. at. And when we talk about housing data, it's, it's again, specifically the, the leading indicators of housing. So that, doesn't, that wouldn't include home prices or house prices, which are uh, the lagging indicators. So typically yeah. it's about, if we're looking at something like the NHB index, which is a, a proxy of builder sentiment or building permits, it's about 15 months. And I say about because there's no hard and fast rules. These things are not exact. You know, economics is a social science, so uh, every cycle is a little different in terms of the behavioral aspects to how people react, uh, which are also different uh, due to the uh, secular backdrop. You know, do we have a forty-year high in inflation, and uh, have we just had a pandemic? Yeah, you know, so these are things that could uh, certainly change the lags a little bit. But that's why, again, we have kind of this roadmap that doesn't just have one or two waypoints, but really multiple waypoints. To ultimately getting to employment, and you know, there's you're not going to hit yeah. employment until you hit profits, which we're seeing earnings estimates fall now for about nine nine months or so. And we think there's a uh, several more months quarters of weaker earnings estimates ahead, and so the housing data that's deteriorated is really just kind of uh, the heads up for investors to start thinking about how long and how uh, big of a downturn we're going to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard, I mean, I've not looked into it too much, but I've heard um, some of the earnings might be, well, theoret theoretically worse than they appear uh, because it, there's some of the big firms have been doing some clever accounting tricks <laughs> to stop them looking so bad. But, uh, but uh, this is not something I've looked into in depth. But So, uh, I mean, on this scale, where are we now? Do you, uh, are we starting to see the signs of employment um, to turn? I, I, it's been, I mean, it's been very strong quite some time now this is what one of the reasons why the fed's been quite you know been able to be quite strong on their um yeah. in, inflation uh hitting inflation with it with increasing the, the funds rate yeah you know let, I'll, I'll, let me show you some charts on uh, some of the material we use and we share with clients so the uh hope framework uh on this page right here now, this is what you were referring to in that little heat map there, which was a study that went back 50 years or so, looking at the impact of interest rates uh, onto, on, on these different segments of the economy, housing orders, profits, and employment. And so with regards to um, you know, the idea of respecting the lag and where are we now? Well, we're, we're now 12 months post the first rate hike, which was only 25 basis points. Uh, that was on March 16th of 2022. So we're speaking, recording this today, uh, March 29th, 2023. So the broader economy is really only reflecting 125 basis point rate hike. Um, the lags of policy from the Fed take about 12 to 18 months. And so now the housing sector has certainly reflected much more than just 25 basis points of hikes uh, via high mortgage rates. But I would argue that the employment backdrop is only really reflecting 25 basis points. Uh, and as we go forward, yeah. we're going to see that story evolve and the digestion process that always takes place after a year of tightening uh, play out. And so the, this chart here I'm showing is the lagged effect or the, uh, the change in Fed policy on leading indicators like the ISM index, which is a, think of it as a monthly measure of GDP, whether it's getting better or worse when you're below 50, things are decelerating. Uh, ISM 
this metric now is at about 47. So it tells you the economy is uh, contracting uh, with regards to manufacturing activity on new orders. But what you want to focus on is this that, that thin blue line, which, as you can see, is still all ahead of us uh, in terms of the impact of what the Fed has done. Similarly, we see that on earnings. Here's a chart that takes um, a, a different leading indicator, looking at here at long in long-term interest rates as a leading indicator of the profit cycle. And so we just crossed into negative territory in terms of where earnings growth is uh, expected. And again, we still have the bulk of the Fed's tightening cycle yet to be digested, which means that we're going to likely see a backdrop of a continuation of weak earnings expectations or falling earnings revisions, especially in the next 12 months as that tightening cycle, uh, for lack of a better word, shows up in the economic and uh, earnings data. And then on employment, uh, and again, these are those are the waypoints, you know, are higher rates impacting PMIs, are higher rates impacting earnings estimates? And so far, the answer is thus far, yes. And so now the downturn in housing we've seen helps inform us when we're, we're going to begin to see unemployment rise. Or in this case, I'm showing a chart of initial unemployment claims, a weekly data point that comes out in the, uh, every Thursday in the U.S., which tells you how many people filed for the first time unemployment insurance uh, at each one of the 50 yeah. states. And so we've seen housing deteriorate now for about 13 months or so, 14 months maybe. That tends to lead claims by about 15, 16, 17 months. So uh, this chart is one we've been watching, kind of waiting, uh, and why we have a back half of the year call where markets uh, go lower when uh, in unemployment rises and initial claims rise uh, and the hard landing or recession story gets finally reflected back into equity markets. So that's where we yeah. are right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, so this, can we just build on that point a bit about your sort of outlook for maybe the, you know, the year ahead? Um, so you, you believe that you know the stock market will eventually sell off because of the fact that you know which is becoming quite clear now we're probably probably entering a hard landing rather than um anything else um and then I, the other thing on top of that is just obviously um people have also been talking about how the liquidity has actually increased recently uh with the the fed um helping the banking sector um you know, basically access distressed funds to to support them in this period. Uh, but there's a bit of debate over whether or not that is actually um, will be reflected in, you know, the economy at all. And it might just be, um, you know, restricted to that sector because they have to pay it back eventually. Yeah, I think that's that's an important point. The Fed's not going out there and buying anything uh, like like they had done in, during quantitative easing um, prior to, you know, last year. Um the Fed is acting as the lender of last resort. Uh, interest rates are coming down or ha have come down from their highs because of fear in the banking system and again rising risks of a hard landing. You know, that's not that's not a good that's not a good uh, way to get interest rates down. It's not a good way to get the you know the Fed's balance sheet. Yeah, it's it's picked up a bit, but it, again, it's 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 in a it's in a very different form. So we would not uh, and do not believe that this should be interpreted as QE a la what the Fed has done again yeah. over the last several years. 
this is them doing their job as the lender of last resort. And um, you know, banks are paying a, a hefty fee to borrow from the discount window or from these new Fed facilities. Uh, and so it's um, you know, it's very different when interest rates came down later in 2022 as people saw inflation data cooling. That I would say is a good thing to get rates down. However, when rates are going down and credit spreads are widening, which is the backdrop we've had in the month of March, that's a bad thing for equities. And while the broader markets mm -hmm. thus far have kind of held in there, and I think that's largely due to the employment backdrop, uh, which is not uh, yet you know, broadly deteriorating, underneath the surface of the market, which is where the messages from the market are, are most um, uh, informative, we have, for example, today, the NASDAQ, the QQQ, is near a six-month high, whereas the small cap Russell 2000 index is just off a six-month low. So there's been this massive rotation into quality, yeah. stability, growth, uh, and away from risk on, low quality, junk, cyclicality, and beta in the last, uh, really, beginning in early February. So our market outlook, uh, I'm sharing this page yeah. here. This is a, a chart from January 11th, the beginning of this year when we did our outlook. We've, um, you know, we're painted as bears because of our year end target. We're not, a, you know, we're still in again, uh, I guess we'll be in early April soon. But um, this chart's not updated and our message to investors, is, uh, our clients have been, the market's gonna be range bound until we break out of either uh, this inflation issue or we go and uh, into a hard landing and see unemployment rise. And everything we see is pointing to the ladder that we're going to see the unemployment rate go up. And that's what's going to break the market below into new lows. And uh, our, our, our tools point to that beginning some point in the second half, uh, early second half of this year. So uh, our message to investors has been kind of remain balanced for now in the short term for those that are more short term focused and prepare for uh, a, a hard landing or recession, which historically doesn't get priced in until it actually happens. Let me just show you one chart here, because I often say, and I put this on Twitter quite a few times, the market's not forward looking. Yeah. And that's a concept that we're always ta taught and told as, as um, you know, in school, uh, in business school, and certainly as we come up uh, in, in our professional careers. But I think the data really suggests otherwise, um, which this chart here shows, this is a chart of the S&P 500 on the top panel and unemployment claims on the bottom panel. And if you look at the last several, well, all of the recessions back to 1960, the, the market doesn't peak or the bear market doesn't really begin until unemployment claims are rising. It doesn't happen three, six, nine months ahead of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's ultimately why the broader indices are holding in now. Every you know, Investors are clearly positioning differently in the last couple of months. Uh, and that's, again, that message is quite clear. But if you're just looking at the S&P or the NASDAQ, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see the churn mm -hmm. and the repositioning underneath the uh, headline indices. The market's always the last thing to fall, whereas pieces of the markets are avoided before that ultimate decline in equities that happens when claims arise. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on the theory that um, people are sort of some conjecture that, you know, if, as soon as the economy starts to worsen with data such as this, if 
if CP, uh, CPI also declines significantly, I mean, this is an if, um, the Fed, you know, would normally point more towards a cutting sort of uh, agenda later in the year, uh, which, and then, you know, the stock market would like, um, cause it's, well, you're saying it's not forward looking. So maybe, you know, people I'm saying people might, uh, it might, you know, risk assets might go up because they're, they're expecting the, the, the hikes, the um, cuts to come in. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, what, in every recession, the fed starts cutting rates when unemployment starts to rise yeah. yet the market, uh, and maybe, you know, cause it, it always causes um, many or multiple bear market rallies. Uh, we saw that throughout 2007, 2007, 2008. We saw that throughout 2000 and 2001 and any other long period of um, a bear market. But for several reasons, and actually I'll bring it back to employment, uh, rate cuts don't really help in a hard landing lift the market, uh, at least not with yeah. a long lag. And that's because... I think this chart shows um, the why, and this is a chart here of, again, unemployment claims. That's the black line with a uh, chart of a series of corporate credit spreads. So investment grade credit spreads, that's the red line. And if you focus in on the shaded areas, which uh, are periods where uh, where claims are rising, what you see is that credit spreads are also widening. And, And so the Fed's typically cutting rates into a hard landing, a recession, because unemployment's deteriorating, because the credit markets are widening. And short of a massive fiscal stimulus like we saw in 2020 in the United States, there's no quick fix once a hard landing or once initial claims start rising. Um, Besides fiscal stimulus like we saw in 2020, and there's always a lag when the Fed is cutting interest rates in a recession, it takes, a, again, in about a nine, 12 months, if not longer sometimes, for mm-hmm. the economy to respond to that. And part of the reason is because the credit markets and financial conditions are, are often tightening when the Fed is cutting. Because I mean, that's why the Fed's cutting rates, because the whole financial markets are kind of yep. seizing up. And on yep. top of that, something that I think a lot of investors have been introduced to or refamiliarized with, lending standards because of what's gone on in the U.S. banking uh, industry in the last um, in the, in the month of March. When we're in a recession or as the recession unfolds, banks are always tightening the lending standards uh, for the same reason stocks are going down and credit spreads are widening and financial conditions are tightening because there's more uncertainty, there's slower growth, there's default risks that are rising. Uh, and so it all sounds like a great story that, hey, the Fed's going to bail us out if the market goes down and there's yeah. this Fed put that prevents the market from going down. But if you look throughout history in a hard landing, uh, that's just never been true. And I don't think it necessarily um, should be true going forward unless human behavior since the beginning of time, <laughs> fear and greed changes. And what's going to happen yeah. as this recession unfolds is you're going to have a lot of fear. Yeah, uh, as you always do. So uh, yeah. I think that's wishful thinking um, or it's an extrapolation of the last 14 years where we haven't had a cyclical downturn since 2007 and 2008. You know, COVID mm-hmm. was a quick fix from the uh, certainly in the U.S. with all the stimulus. So you really had a, a short period of uh, rising unemployment. That's not normal. That's not going to repeat itself. 
certainly not after this inflation uh, fiasco uh, yeah. on a global basis. So no, that's really interesting insight. And um, I, I noticed um, one of your tweets put out just to uh, put forward like a different side of the argument, uh, recession risks can lower energy prices offset higher interest rates. Could you just get your, your thoughts on that? Sure. I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of uh, stimulus for in the form of lower energy prices since the peak of uh, energy prices back in June of 2022. Uh, and, and that th those you know, lower lower energy prices have ha have played out for a lot of reasons. China was shut down for most of last year. Um, President Biden released tons of oil from the uh, Strategic Petro Petroleum Reserve. Um and the global economy was slowing and the dollar was rising sharply. So you had all these kind of negative tailwinds, macro tailwinds for energy. And, you know, if we think about the U.S. consumer, especially those consumers with the highest propensity to spend, the lower income, the middle to lower income, much of their consumption basket is, is uh, uh, food and energy. And so as oil prices have come down in the last nine months, one could argue that's been a boost to the economy, especially for those lower end consumers. It's obviously helped bring down inflation, though clearly not the only inflation problem. Otherwise, problem, you know, we'd be we'd be we wouldn't be talking about inflation today. Um, and arguably it's caused core inflation you know, uh, inflation outside of energy to remain a little more sticky because if consumers are not spending another dollar per gallon on gasoline, then they're spending it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And if they're spending it elsewhere, they're keeping revenues of corporate, corporate, corporates, um, stronger. They're keeping pricing power a little better for companies, uh, which keeps employment a little better. So one could argue that lower energy prices has partially, or maybe delayed some of the lagged impact of higher interest rates um, in the last several, last few quarters. Now going yeah. forward, I'm not so sure we're gonna see much lower energy prices unless we see a much weaker economic backdrop. Uh, but uh, again, these are the things that create the lags that are, could, that are always variable and not, it's not a perfect science. And uh, so if, you, if the market, like um, so, if it plays out as you as as you sort of talked about. Market declines as we uh, this uh, it becomes clear we're entering sort of a hard landing. What would indicate to you that the stock market has bottomed, or you know, and uh, would you expect to see this uh, a volatility spike that everyone you know many people talk about that signifies the extreme fear before you know some recovery sets in? Uh, yeah. So here, let me again pull up a chart. So I, I don't think markets bottom because people panic. I don't think markets bottom because we get to some low valuation metric or some price level in the S&P. Um, sure, that could get some people to start buying. But, you know, in a very simplistic way, I think markets bottom when the problem that takes the market down, the perception is that that problem's going away. Uh, you know, as simple as, you know, we just went through a, a banking, potential banking crisis in the United States and, you know, markets bottomed when the government stepped in and made people feel that we're not going to have a systemic banking crisis and backstop deposits uh, and, you know, do all these other facilities that have helped banks remain liquid. Uh, 
back in uh, last year, we were just talking about energy when gasoline prices, you know, at the lows in the market in June of 2022, gasoline in the United States was $5 a gallon, a record high. As that problem started to go away, or as gasoline prices started to come down, the markets rallied because they viewed that that was the major problem in June of last year, and that major problem started to fade. So when we talk about market bottoms and sustainable new bull markets, there, there's always a housing, sustainable housing rebound that corresponds with every one of those market bottoms. So this chart here is building permits on top back to 1960. Uh, and I'm, I've highlighted every single major market bottom back to 1960. And what you notice is that in all of them, housing data is doing a V-shaped recovery or is just starting to improve and trend higher. And so I don't look for panic to turn bullish. I don't look for sentiment. I look for a shift in the macro backdrop because most, most of these downturns are a result of a recession and recessions don't end until housing bottoms. And that's been a big topic of debate in the last few months because in the United States, mortgage rates are off their highs a little bit. We've seen some improvement in some housing data. Housing stocks have performed quite well. And that is stuff you have seen literally at the end, near the end of every Fed tightening cycle. And so uh, on, on the cover of my handout, uh, we have these news clippings from history showing how investors always believe there's a soft landing because when the Fed is done, mortgage rates start to come down and housing data bounces. But the difference between a recession and a soft landing, again, goes back to employment and whether or not employment takes housing down, the whole economy down, ultimately is the question from here. And that's why you know I believe it will. Uh, but this chart here of the NAHB index, which is a, a series of home builder sentiment, uh, what you can see here, and I'm plotting it with the Fed funds rate on the bottom, is that even in recession, housing data, or before a recession starts, housing data bounces every time. So um, we would be very, uh, given our forward-looking indicators, we wouldn't be chasing the, the no landing or recovery narrative here. Yeah. We think this is a bounce, a head fake, not a sustainable bottom in equities or the economy. Very interesting. And what, what data are you using there for housing? What specific are you looking at? Was it building permits? This year, and you, you notice like I'm using, I, I've talked about housing. I've talked, you know, I can use a bunch of different in indicators to talk about the same general topic. This here is the NHB index or National Association of Home Builders Sentiment Index. The data is on their website. It's free. You can download it. Uh, it basically looks at builder sentiment in, with regards to current traffic, how many people are you know, asking about new homes um, and their, their, their views on sales activity in the housing market. Home builder stocks have done well, but if you look at all other aspects of the housing um, related industries, consumer electronics, home furnishings, household durables, uh, you've seen massive underperformance in yeah. uh, these housing related areas. So kind of the more beta driven aspects of housing. And that's just not what a housing recovery looks like in, in, in terms of a sustainable bottom. In 2020, in uh, 2009, in 2003, and every other bottom in housing and bottom in the economy and bottom in the market, all of the housing related industry groups were outperforming strongly and sustainably. 
And that's not something we're seeing today at all. It's really only the home builders. And I think that's largely because people are investing in them or trading them as a way to express their view on the Fed's done and mortgage rates are going to come down. Mm-hmm. And that could work ultimately until either the housing data doesn't uh, get better. Uh, and that's usually because employment trends are starting to get worse. Yeah. Okay. So we, we recently just told clients it's time to take profits on home builders because we think home builders will follow the rest of the housing related stocks, which have been sharply underperforming now for several months. Yeah, very interesting. Never ceases to amaze me how um, complex the financial markets are and how many intricate uh, variables there are that are running at any one point in time. Um, yeah, well, I think that's why you have, you know, we have a framework, uh, obviously experience helps going through a lot of market cycles helps and understanding what what parts of the cycle repeat themselves, which parts of the cycle rhyme, and then which, and then knowing that you have to acknowledge and contextualize things that are different in each cycle, but yeah. also that those differences don't necessarily break the drivers of the business cycle. Uh, and, and so, I mean, yeah. So I was just going to say, if you finish yourself, uh, finish first. Well, so the, the, the main reason we have a bearish view by year end uh, and, and view that we're going to have a hard landing is because historically, the main three ingredients of a recession, which are a Fed tightening cycle, a commercial bank tightening cycle, and that's, again, lending standards, and an inflation problem. Those are the three ingredients that have preceded every single recession. Soft landings are preceded by a Fed tightening cycle but one that corresponds with very low inflation. I think 2017 and 2018, inflation was quite low around the world, especially in food and energy. And easier banks lending standards. Uh, Commercial banks in the United States, and I believe in Europe too, were easing lending standards back in 2017 and 2018 while Mm -hmm. the Fed was raising rates. So that's not the combination we have today. uh, And is why, again, simply we think that we're going to have uh, a hard landing and we're seeing plenty of evidence that we're moving in that direction. Yeah. And can you just quickly touch on a bit about your background um, and your day to day at Piper Sander? Sure. Uh, so I, I've been doing this about 20 years. Uh, I started my career at a bulge bracket at Merrill Lynch, working in a small cap strategy team. I moved on from there to go uh, join ISI group which uh, is a, uh, one of the, was one of the, before they got bought by Evercore, the predominant macro research firms on Wall Street. I, w- I was there for several years, then uh, went on to move, move to go work uh, at a, uh, another research shop called Wolf Research. Uh, again, all, all the time working as a macro strategist. Uh, and then in 2013, uh, Cornerstone Macro was formed, which uh, was kind of a, um, trying to recreate uh, uh, that special macro franchise uh, that we had back at ISI. Uh, and then Piper Sandler bought Cornerstone Macro uh, just over a year ago. Uh, and so that's that's my background. Um, growing up I, uh, in the in the industry, I, I went through the CFA program, didn't know if I wanted to be a stock person or a strategy analyst or a quant. So, you know, for people that are younger, it's always good to keep your uh, um, options open and your foundation broad. 
day to day is again, as I mentioned earlier, it's um, just came from a client meeting earlier. Uh, earlier in the week, I was uh, in Ohio the week before in Miami. So a lot of travel, a lot of seeing clients. Um, I have a great team that I've worked with for uh, about 15 years now. So not, not common on Wall Street to be working with the same great team uh, for, for that long uh, period of time. Um, we all, we've all moved together uh, at those firms I mentioned earlier. And so uh, our team is able to really uh, cover a lot of ground um, with um, the, the, the group of us that's been together. So, you know, day to day's research, trying to interpret the markets. You know, we're not really super short term focused. I don't really care what happens day to day in the market. Uh, we're looking for trends. Our clients are institutional investors that have to allocate billions of dollars of capital, which is not something you can do week to week or uh, day to day or even month to month. Uh, so we're really look at, looking out to, to forecast market trends and macro trends uh, of at least three months uh, and really the sweet spots kind of six to 12 months. So yeah. um, it's a it's a it's a busy it's a busy job in a normal stable backdrop. In the last five years, it's been uh, uh, I, I don't even know the right word for it, but uh, the last five years pay, feels like twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> seems like there's uh, a lot happening. Um, uh, thanks, Michael. And moving on from that, I just wanted to touch back on the the property. Um, angle that we've been talking about, although a specific element of it, which is more on the commercial property side, uh, people starting to talk about how there could be um, some big problems coming up related to um, the US banks that's sort of becoming stricter with their lending standards, particularly the, the well, they class as small banks, I think, but they're still, you know, pretty big banks. Uh, they're just not the big mega banks. Um, tightening up their lending and, and a lot of these uh, commercial real estate loans, I think it's something like half a trillion or something comes due next year um, yeah. at a point where, um, you know, banks may not be lending. And another factor is that uh, during COVID, a lot of these pla uh, places, which, you know, are, are office buildings, things like this, uh, have low occupancy, occupancy rates as well. So not only uh, have has the interest rates gone up, so they have to refinance a higher interest rates, they may have low occupancy, so their, their actual income from the property isn't good either. And, you know, there might be uh, some sort of um, scenario where they can't even afford their payments on the interest or the building's not paying for itself, essentially. Sure. I don't know if you've yep. looked into this a bit, but it, it seems like to be quite quite a significant thing that might happen. Yeah, it, you know, it's not, it's not our team's specialty uh, specifically, but, you know, the message we try to say f f uh, from the, the top-down view is that is number one, we have the conditions for, for, for things to break and for bad things to, to play out. And you look throughout history, things break for two reasons. Generally, it's either from higher interest rates, like we've just seen in the U.S. banking system or the U.K. gilt market back uh, late last year. Um, the, when the Mexican peso, uh, the tequila crisis back in 1994, that was while the Fed was raising rates aggressively and the dollar was rapidly rising and became a big problem for the Mexican central bank. Uh, so that was you know, around rates. Bigger problems tend to happen when employment starts to deteriorate as, you know, for obvious reasons, consumers uh, lose their ability to consume. Uh, and then you have credit issues that create uh, a feedback loop. And so that, again, that uh, is still ahead of us largely. So I'm showing you a screen here of our, our top 10 high conviction calls uh, from the beginning of the year uh, in our January outlook. And one of the things, um, and we, 
you know, we put a long list together of where the potential risks are, but then there's always the, the most important one, the unknowns. Um, what's going to break this year? So we've already seen, uh, obviously, a break somewhat in, uh, in the banking system. And, you know, we think about the 08 crisis in the context of large banks and residential real estate. And, you know, this is kind of, um, I don't know, guys, ironic now that it's in small banks and commercial real estate where the fears are. And, and that's mostly where the, the lending has taken place on the commercial real estate side in the, in the smaller banks. So that's going to be concerning. And especially, again, as we go back to jobs and really it's jobs, you know, why, why does the stock market go down when jobless claims are rising? Uh, is because it has to do with credit. And for commercial real estate, uh, obviously, as people um, lose jobs, then that that creates um, an even bigger yeah. problem for for those uh, those buildings. So, um, it's it's something that you know, we're watching a lot of data around there. But again, it's not our goal is not to find the next default. And we've already seen a few strategic defaults uh, in some large commercial real estate companies. Uh, and again. What, what we know from history is that the weaker links or the excesses break first. Uh, we saw that with, you know, technology, crypto blew up before, you know, the banking system kind of had its problems in the U.S. because there were a lot of excesses, a lot of companies that benefited from zero interest rates. Uh, the whole tech sector last year has underperformed uh, because they're most sensitive to that. And that's where 13 years of zero interest rates really benefited the most, the tech sector. So fintech yeah. companies and crypto was kind of the, the leading edge of that risk taking. So, you know, we're, there's plenty of data that's suggesting uh, commercial real estate is going to get hit. How hard will it get hit? How systemic will it be? Uh, that's hard to know with certainty. But again, do we have the conditions for problems to arise? Yes. Are the probabilities high enough where investors should? Uh, th does it warrant caution for investors? Absolutely. Uh, and this is just you know, not a time in the equity market to be looking to hit home runs uh, and, and yeah. make large bets, uh, certainly not on the bullish side, in our opinion. And given all this uncertainty and um, the, the you know, potential hard, hard landing that's coming up, how are you advising clients asset allocate in this scenario? Do, do you still see the, the Fed cutting and, and maybe bonds trade? Is, is, is it an interesting one? So again, our clients are, a lot of them have to be fully invested or long short. So they're always looking to um, move around their um, allocations if there's a, a theme to be played. So what our recommendation has been in the last um, several months has been to be buying companies, whether you're a long only investor and you, you're trying to beat a benchmark or you're long short investor and trying to beat your shorts. So buying companies that have high profitability, that are less cyclical, that have um, proven track record as uh, records of growing earnings. So not not companies that are may, may grow earnings down the road, but companies that are you know stable earning earners grower uh, earnings growers. Yeah, and as well as those companies today that currently are outperforming their peers, and we measure that looking at earnings revisions. So we have a long model which you see on the bottom of this page. And today, the stocks um, that are in that model are names that best represent those four factors within their own sectors. So um, we don't think it's a great time to be making big sector bets or big industry bets because big sector and in industry bets could bring you closer to making a big market bet. 
And if we think we're going to be in a market that's going to remain sideways for another four to five months, potentially, and, and not break down until we see rising unemployment, making big sector yeah. and industry bets could just be uh, could just look like the market, you know, where it goes up for two months, goes down for two months, goes up for two months. And so you could be a genius yeah. or a fool every every two months if you have these big uh, higher beta or lower beta bets. So we kind of be, want to be more balanced and more selective uh, and really getting down to the company level. But ultimately, um, again, you know, not financial advice that I can give, but, you know, ultimately, uh, I think equities remain very unattractive. I think U.S. Treasury yields remain very attractive. If we have uh, a soft landing, the Fed, if, if the Fed cuts rates and we have a soft landing somehow, then Treasury yields should do really well. Uh, while equities potentially hold in there, maybe go up a little bit. If we have a recession, Treasury yields will likely do very well um, as the Fed cuts rates and equities uh, are under severe pressure and then uh, we get a pretty big flight to quality, flight to safety, sorry, flight to safety trade. So, uh, you know, yeah. for, for, for most retail folks, I think, you know, being patient and prudent is, uh, is the prescription for today. And going forward, though, into the, you know, looking more long term, five year, 10 year, um, you said you s still expect to see lower PEs and index returns. And yeah, you know, I guess potentially. Yeah, there's a you know, if, if we if we if we think we're not going back to the world of zero interest rate rates, quantitative easing you know, sustainably, which we think there's an argument to suggest that we're not going back to those types of that type of environment and that there are again uh, there there are a number of positive longer term bullish narratives in the US economy and the global economy don't get me wrong again we follow the business cycle we were really bullish in 2021 in fact we had the highest target on wall street we're bearish uh, or moving towards a bearish view ultimately now because we we follow the cycle uh, that which which means that at some point the cycle will turn back up uh, probably some point in the early, maybe middle of 2024, um, you know, from automation to onshoring, there's, there's a lot of long-term bullish uh, out, uh, narratives for the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market. It's not going to look like it did the last 13, 14 years where we had, you know, really good returns in a, in a real narrow subset of large cap growth stocks that lifted the index and lifted U.S. relative performance compared to the rest of the world. When you look at equities around the world, they tend to be far more cyclical than uh, U.S. equity markets, uh, especially today. Um, so I think, you know, if the U.S. markets have strongly outperformed the rest of the world really since 2011, that we're not going to probably we're probably not going to be swinging back to the opposite extreme. We're going to be somewhere more in the middle. Uh, and so I think, you know, inflation and interest rates are going to over the next five years after this downturn, normalize at a higher level than where we were the prior decade plus, which suggests that yeah. you're not gonna see as much strong growth leadership and you'll see some better cyclical and value leadership. Again, I don't think we'll be at the tails of either one of those. I think uh, a good balanced portfolio uh, makes a lot of sense, you know, and that's that didn't make a lot of sense, you know, in the last, from 2011 to 2021, you wanted to be heavily tilted towards growth. And prior to that, Prior to the global financial crisis, you wanted to be pretty uh, heavily tilted towards value and cyclicals. So I think we're going to see more volatility 
in the macro environment and therefore in the market environment. And so taking extreme bets on one or the one side of a spectrum, whether it's large versus small cap or growth versus value or U.S. versus the rest of the world probably doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, you know, or being yeah. barbelled probably doesn't make a lot of sense over the long term. Being more thoughtful uh, and looking for companies that are, you know, really idiosyncratic winners that don't depend on the macro as much, uh, I think, could um, kind of be a better way to position. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think the the, and, um, the easy days are behind us. <laughs> <laughs> and um what themes such as you mentioned onshoring um do you think are you know well positioned for for growth over the next sort of five years are there other ones you're, you're thinking about from a longer term perspective um i think those are the you know automation and onshoring are kind of the, the the big two yeah um again you know our process is far more uh, cycle business cycle driven so um that kind of plays and overlays into it. But, you know, I think demographics uh, is another theme and, you know, kind of understanding of there's still a lot of baby boomers that are on kind of more stable incomes now because they're coming from the government as opposed to their jobs that can be more cyclical. So trying to figure out, you know, what are the cohorts in the economy that are uh, set to spend more in the next five to 10 years? Um I think also how fiscal policy will adapt in a world where interest rates are a little higher and what that means for the business cycle. You know, fiscal policy is often used to smooth out the business cycle. If we don't have the ammunition for more fiscal stimulus because of rising interest rate costs and um, a lot of policy debate between, you know, raising taxes and uh, we can have a whole session about that. But I think, again, it just leads to more volatility in the business cycle. We, we don't have all these, quote unquote, puts uh, from the Fed or from the fiscal government, uh, I think, or it's going to be more difficult. Things are going to have to get worse to get government stimulus compared to the last yeah. 20 years, 30 years. Well, Michael, it's, it's been great to have this call and uh, thank you for, for conveying all your wisdom for all of us. Um, it's been really great to dig into the, the macro, obviously, and because it's there's so much going on at the moment. So it's, your opinions and, and insights are invaluable. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave with? And also, could you potentially let the audience know where they can find you and, and get more insights for, uh, from you on Twitter or any other social channels you, you sort of post on? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'll pull up. Uh, I'll pull up one more chart, perhaps. Um, a second here. So, uh, or three charts. Uh, so, you know, again, big picture here is that we've had a bond bear market in 2022. And that that's what ultimately pulled down equities. Uh, I don't think it was because we were heading uh, or pricing in a recession. Uh, although we're, we're, you know, people are tuned to thinking stocks are going down because we're pricing in a recession. And that's the only reason stocks go down. I don't think that's the case. We shouldn't be so rigid. And now we're going to see the lagged effects of that bond bear market hit the economy. And that's always the way it works out. It hits the stock market, uh, pieces of the stock market first, and then it hits the economy second, and then hits the stock market again uh, if we get a hard landing. So these three charts just show the lagged effect of higher interest rates affecting earnings es uh, estimate revisions on top, 
credit spreads on the bottom left and the performance of high to low beta stocks. So kind of a simple version of risk on versus risk off. So you see for all three of those metrics, it suggests um, weaker earnings revisions, higher credit spreads and uh, risk off leadership. So uh, again, I think the broad message to take away here is just to be patient and prudent, um, waiting for the next opportunity where the probabilities of stocks going up is is much greater than where they, than they are today. And I say today they're pretty low, yeah. uh, looking out six months or so. Uh, so yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my uh, handle, I think, is at Michael Cantro. Uh, my full name is Michael Cantrowitz, uh, but I keep it short. <laughs> it's been my Cantro's been my nickname since middle school, uh, so it seems to work. Um, but yeah, so but thank you very much for having me. Uh, this has been. Uh, a lot of fun and uh, look forward to doing do it again sometime soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Have a good rest of the day. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.